Um, hi, everybody. I'm Tess. I'm a, an addict. Um, hi, um, my sobriety date is 10. No, it's not. Oh my God. I'm so nervous that that's not my sobriety date. My sobriety date is, I know it's been a while guys. Um, it's 8, 10, 18. And I have a sponsor who knows who's my sponsor. My home group is the same as Travis's. It's the 7:30 shot in the dark meeting, um, of heroin anonymous and a few other people who came to support me. Um, and it happens on Tuesday nights at Post Mesa Club. Um, thank you, Eric, for asking me to come speak. Thank you, Travis, for sharing your story. I'm really honored to hear it. Um, I love your shares. So I was like, I'm going to ask him, and I'm so glad I did, um, and that you said yes. So yeah, um, my sobriety date isn't my first sobriety date, right? I've had about a couple dozen before that, um, as I'm you know, sure a lot of people in this room have. And um, so I'll just start, like, I'll try to split this up into like, what happened, what it was like, what it's like now, or whatever, however it's supposed to be. Um, so what happened was I was born in Orange County. We'll go way far back, guys. Um, no, but seriously, I was born in Orange County, and um, I was born uncomfortable. And I, I don't know if anybody else can relate to that, but like, I was uncomfortable from the moment I was born. And, um, and it wasn't because of anything around me was a was a problem right I had like a mom and a dad and they were together and I had an older sister and two younger brothers and I lived in this beautiful house with this like awesome yard and a jungle gym and a pool and like all the normalcy for a dysfunctional family right everyone has dysfunctions and so did my family um but it was as normal as dysfunctional families can get and um, I also grew up with parents who are in the program. Um, my mom was like a really gnarly speed addict and an alcoholic. And my dad was a really gnarly cocaine addict and an alcoholic. So I actually grew up with sober parents and I never really saw a drunk adult until like high school. Um, I like remember actually the first drunk adult that I saw because I'd never seen one before in person, right? And I never watched movies that had like, uh, like, like I never saw like like movies when I was younger, like seven years old or ten years old, where there were drunk parents because like my parents weren't weren't drinking, so it was like I don't know. And and the parties we'd have, we'd have like AA parties and like, oh my God, this guy got thirty years sober. We're gonna have a party for him at our house. So like that was the that was like very normal in my life, right? Like that's what I grew up with. So, um, so then here I was like running around when I was younger, and when I say that I was born uncomfortable I mean that like I truly believe that everybody else got this handbook to life and I was just fucking gypped you know like I just wasn't given the handbook that everyone else was and I didn't understand how everyone just like did kindergarten normal right I was like how is everyone okay like going to school and like doing these normal and I, I kid you not and so like my parents when I was younger right like um they did this thing where they had this conversation about me because they kind of knew like I had the tendencies at a young age. And um, so they had a conversation about like what they were going to do with me. And um, and they decided to like foster whatever spirit was in me, um, which I, I'm really grateful for today. But because like I was told um, most of the time that I was very special and special was unique. Right. Um, I like held on to the fact that I was different and I loved that about myself until like high school came and then I just wanted to be like popular, you know, like mean girls came out 
And um, I wanted to be Lindsay Lohan. I kid you not. It was like a really big deal for me, you know? Like I saw that movie and I just wanted that high school experience. And like, by the way, like I went to an all girls school. I couldn't get the, all, I couldn't get that experience no matter what. It was like literally impossible. I went to a private all girls school, but whatever. I, it's neither here nor there. Um, so like, I just wanted to fit in. It was like my life, right? And so, um, And so this girl came to my school. She got transferred from Newport Harbor and um, she got kicked out for dealing weed. And uh, I, she was like five, six, blonde hair and blue eyes. And I was like, that will be my best friend. That is Regina George and I will be her best friend. And uh, <laughs> you guys don't understand. It was like a really big deal for me, this whole Mean Girls thing. Um, it was like a fantasy that I had in my head anyways. And I was like the redhead. So I was like, dude, I get it, I'm Lindsay. So I found Regina George and I, I manipulated her into being my best friend because um, that's what I do. I manipulate people to get what I want and to make them see a certain side of me that I want them to see so that they'll like me and then I have to maintain this image for as long as possible so that nobody finds out who I really am because if you find out who I am you'll hate me right so I did that in high school I made her my best friend I roped her into my tornado of a life um soon after maybe a year and a half later she got expelled for we like brought alcohol to a school dance it was like whatever and um but she got expelled like for me. She took the heat, right? Like I should have gotten expelled. And she was like, she's like, no, no, like you're gonna go to college. Like I'll, I'll get expelled. And I was like, okay, no problem. You do that. <laughs> and she did, you know? And at the time I viewed that as like, wow, what a martyr. She is the bestest friend I could ever have. And now I'm looking at it. I was like, dude, she's a speed addict and she just didn't want to go to school, you know? And she was in continuation school. So she really got the better end of the deal. But <laughs> I look at it, you know, it just made more sense. So, um, so yeah, and you know, like, and I remember my first, I remember the first time I drank, um, it's like part of that uncomfortable, like line that falls through my life is like the first time I drank, I felt like, um, I felt like I was holding my breath my entire life. And then I could all of a sudden I could breathe. Like there was this weight on my shoulders. I drank and all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is what life is supposed to feel like. And I'm going to do this every day for the rest of my life. And, um, unfortunately alcohol doesn't work like that. You can't drink every day for the rest of your life. You tend to get, I tend, I can't. I tend to get in car accidents. I tend to fuck my entire life up. I tend to get suspended from school. I tend to like get everyone else drunk around me and screw up everyone else's lives. So alcohol didn't work very long for me. I had to get sober and I went to college and I went to college and, um, and kind of like Travis, like college is where I really bloomed in my mind, at least I bloomed. And, um, and I, I was always looking for something that was going to work for an extended period of time. So I like did cocaine for a little bit and then I had to drop out of school because cocaine led me to alcohol and my life was ruined. And then, you know, I went back to school and, um, and and then I stopped doing cocaine because that was just a line I didn't want to cross anymore. And then I started doing hallucinogenics and then I couldn't really maintain my life doing hallucinogenics because I'd forget a lot of things. So I couldn't do hallucinogenics anymore. And it was like on and on and on, on this like roller coaster of like trying all these drugs because something had to work because I could not 
right? Like I could not manage life on its own. Like life was my problem and drugs, alcohol were my solution. Um, so I needed to find a drug that was going to make my life work. And, um, and then I found opiates and I found Oxycontin, um, Oxy 80s. And, um, and it was like all the little like alcohol and hallucinogenics and cocaine and like all these other precursors to opiates they were all like mistresses right and then when I found heroin it was like that was the love of my life seriously you know what I mean so it's like I had all these like little love affairs and like that was it you know I could maintain I could go to school I got my degree I I did all these things and I thought like um I thought it was okay and it was a trip because I, um, I had really enabling parents and like, God love them. Like, um, there was a lot of stuff going on here, right? Like my sister got sent away when she was 15. She came back two years later, was pregnant. And my brother nearly failed out of school. And my other brother has like ADHD problems. Then my sister moved back. So there's uh, my parents are getting divorced. So God love my parents. There were all these crazy other outside factors happening where what I was doing in Washington like didn't really concern them in Orange County, right? If they couldn't see it, it just, it just kind of didn't matter, you know? And it's not that I didn't matter to them. It's just, they, they couldn't, they couldn't take care of everybody, you know what I mean? And so I just kind of fell to the wayside. And, um, and so that meant that like, I had an endless amount of funds for a little bit there. And, um, and I, I was able to supply my habit of Oxy 80s for like, I don't know, until they were illegal, until they become illegal and you couldn't get them anymore unless you were getting them from a cancer patient in Mission Bayho, you know, I couldn't, which is what I did. I'd fly back here. Uh, I'd fly back here sometimes on my parents' dime, not tell them that I was here, pick up oxys here and then fly back. It was so insane. Um, but that's the things we do, right? And so anyways, la-di-da. And I, um, so I didn't, I, first of all, I didn't know I was addicted and I really kid you not. Like I didn't understand that, um, that something was going to happen if I stopped doing them. So like, I just continued doing them for like a year and a half, maybe. And then all of a sudden I couldn't get them. And, um, I got really fucking sick. You know, I like all of a sudden was like, well, first it was like, I was super irritable and, um, and, I, I started like doing the behaviors that like addicts do. And I was like in the middle of Washington on this farm. I don't know. I was at this farmhouse with this guy. And, um, and I had to like, I was like, no, I'm going back to Spokane while you're working for the day. And it's like a three hour drive. And I was like, no, I'm going back to Spokane and I'm going to go pick these up. And like, I'm not going to tell you and I'm going to do them. And like, maybe I'll be back. Right. And, um, and like, I thought that was totally, totally normal. And like, mind you, when I say that, like my parents enabled me and gave me the money, like I was, and I didn't really realize this until later, but like I was using their credit card, going to Nordstrom's, buying things and then returning it for cash because you could still do that at the time, right? Or like things like, right? Okay, I'm not somebody like, I just like laughing because it's like, this was a real thing. Nordstrom stopped doing it because they were like these like, fucking junkies are like returning everything for cash from a credit card. And um, so like I maintained, so it was like, I say that my parents enabled me, but like really I, I was just like being shysty in college. And, um, and you know, like, college was some like really, really dark times in my life. I, um, I, here I was like going to a four-year university, you know, a Jesuit school and like spending the night in like a, 
like with homeless kids in like a squatter's house, like on the east side of Spokane, which like is, I don't know, um, like Skid Row, right? It's like the poorest of the poor. I was literally like sleeping in a, and I had a place to live. I had an apartment on campus, but like, I just couldn't stay there because like no one on campus wanted to use like I used, you know, like people went to class sober. I went to class with like a black Russian and a blunt, you know, for break. And, um, and so people just couldn't keep up with me. And so I spent five years there instead of four, who would have known. And, um, but I did graduate and I, um, and I held on to the fact that I graduated as um, a, an Oxycontin addict for a really, really long time. And I held on to that and like justified my use and was like, look, I'm really not that bad if I can get a degree, you know, from a great school as a junkie, I'm totally fine. And, um, but you know, like as things progressed, I, um, well, as Oxycontin became more and more difficult to find and thirties were just like really hurting my throat. Um, I like moved on to heroin and, um, and I drew these, like all these invisible lines. Right. And like, one of them was like, I will never do heroin. Like I am, don't you know who I am? And then like, I did heroin and it was like, oh, I will never shoot up. And it was like, well, it's really vinegary this week. I think I think, I think I can't smoke that, you know? And, um, and then I just like go over all of these lines. Like I'll never be homeless. And then I sleep behind the Taco Bell, you know, next to a dumpster. And I do all of these things and, um, I don't care. I don't care how many lines I cross because like, I will protect my drug until I die. Truly is like how I felt because like I said, like life is my problem this is my solution. You take away my solution. How the fuck am I going to deal with life? And, um, you know, and I remember the first time my parents tried to send me to, to detox for heroin. And my mom was like, so surprised. She's like, I come home from college and she realizes I'm kicking because I took a sub suboxone too early and I'm in precipitated withdrawals. And she's yeah. And I like, didn't get out of bed for two days. And she comes up to me and she's like, you're a heroin addict. And I looked at her, I was like, yes. Yeah. Like, where have you been? You know? Uh, yes. And, um, and then she tries to get me to hug and I was like, I'm not going like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, this is not ending. And like, I am not going to chip pancakes. And then like, I was there within like an hour. Like I was very passive. I'm not exactly sure what happened. Um, maybe God did for me what I couldn't do for myself, but like, I really like chocolate chip pancakes when I'm loaded. So that says something. So I went there and I fought the entire time I was at Hogue and it's really nice detox by the way hope is very nice and I still you know you can like order what you want and I was like this is you know shitty and then they sent me to a, an all women's treatment program on the peninsula literally you walk out the door and it's on the beach and I was like I'm getting out of here you know and after 90 days like I manipulated my way through that program I didn't talk about any trauma I had didn't talk about like any other side addictions and um and wouldn't you know like I left I also manipulated my dad into getting me out of sober living and I relapsed immediately and I went back into what I did before. Um, and like, I don't know about you guys, but for me, like, it's not like I'm going to go smoke weed or like, I'm going to go do cocaine. It's like, no, like I'm going to do heroin because like, once I got it, like that was the only thing that worked for me. Like there was nothing else. And, um, the other stuff just seems like my new, right. And, um, so I, left and I relapsed and I was on and off and I was on and off for a long time and um 
and I started going to jail. I was like in this really abusive relationship. And um, mind you, like I was uh, being abused and I was abusive too, right? Um, so it wasn't just like one way, like I'm really gnarly as well when you put meth and heroin in me. And, um, and so I like reached out for my, to my dad for help um, because he manipulated me and said he would meet me in treatment. And I was like, well, this is the love of my life. Of course I'll go to treatment and meet you when I go to treatment. Right. Like it was like a using, I don't know. It was like a using relationship of men, you know? So I get there and of course he doesn't show up and <laughs> who would have thought. And so I run away and I start this homeless jail treatment, homeless jail treatment, homeless jail treatment. And it just got super insane. And, um, and I like, I don't know, I went to jail and I did it a couple of times and I, and they were like, okay, we're going to put you in drug court. And I was like, okay. And I did drug court and it was like, not going to work. And it didn't work. And I got kicked out of drug court. And um, the funny thing about drug court is once you get into drug court, the, um, the judge has this like magic power compared to other judges where they offer no bail. It's not like they offer you a really high bail. It's like make it impossible for you to get out. Like they make it impossible for you to get out by saying you have no bail. And um, that's what happened because the last time I went to jail while I was in drug court, I brought drugs into jail with me and then they caught me and they don't like that. And she said that I wasn't taking drug court seriously. And, uh, you know, I wasn't taking drug court seriously. And so I was there and for the first time in my entire life, I was really facing a consequence to my action, right? Like 30 days here, 30 days there, DUI here, felonies here. Like, I don't really give a shit. But, um, but this was like a real consequence. Like, I'm sorry, you're not going to let me out no matter how much money my parents are willing to give you, you know? And uh, they were not. And so I was in there fighting my case for like five, five months before I signed. And, um, you know, the funny thing is, it's like I didn't get sober because I had this overwhelming urge. Like, I'm going to be sober for the rest of my life. It was like a... Uh, my entire tank was really high for like a few days and we all hated each other. And I was like, well, I'm never doing drugs in jail again. And, um, I didn't. And then I got out and my parents, they released me on a County work program and my parents picked me up and they were in the same car and that scared the shit out of me. And, um, I had a month left to serve, but they released me on the terms that I come back every day and work 10 hours a day for every 10 hours I work, they'll take a day off of jail. And my parents showed up and said, sorry, that doesn't work for us. You have nowhere to go. You have to turn yourself back in. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I was sitting outside Theo Lacey with my fucking clothes and my cell phone and in my property. And I started crying. I was like, I don't think you understand. Like, I don't want to go back to jail. And they're like, yeah, well, like there's nothing really you can do. And uh, surprisingly enough, I gave them my stuff. I turned around and I went back in and like, that was the first moment like God was really doing for me what I couldn't do for myself because like that was not with that. I don't have the strength to do something like that. I don't have the strength to turn myself around and walk back and turn myself into jail. You know, like I have the strength to like turn around and run, but like to turn around and go back, like that's not of me. And then to get out and my parents say, okay, you're going to a women's program. And for me to say like, okay, like that was not of me right like that was my higher power and like for the next year like my higher power was the one who was like you're just gonna say yes to everything everybody tells you to do and um 
like Travis, like I got a sponsor. I got in the steps really quick. I found God and I found God really, really fast. And um, that really, really saved my life. And, um, and my sponsor is like truly amazing. And, um, and I have like really great parents and, and I have like girlfriends today. And, um, I'm in like this great relationship with a man who just accepts me for exactly the person that I am. You know what I mean? And like, I don't have to pretend to be anybody else other than like who I am, you know? And I, um, and I'm really grateful for that. Right. Like my friends don't expect me to be anything other than like the fast talking kind of awkward, loud speaking, talk to strangers, you know, clashing patterns, person that I am. Right. And like, that's okay. Like that's totally okay. And, um, my friends like love that of me. My boyfriend loves that of me. Um, and my parents love that of me. And like the thing that they fostered when I was younger, like I can finally be today and like be okay with just that, you know? And like, I as well needed outside help and I, and I knew I needed outside help. So I found a therapist and I like worked with the therapist for a long time on like various issues, like trauma, sexual trauma, like self-esteem issues, things of that nature that, um, that I found were, were helpful with somebody else. And, um, and as it goes with the steps, you know, like step one, admitting you're powerless and unmanageable, like that, I don't know about you guys, but that was like the very hardest step there possibly was for me. The rest was like cakewalk, not cakewalk, but you know, like mushy walk. But like, that was like the hardest one, like getting over, like the fact that you want me to say that I'm powerless over something when like, I'm pretty sure I'm the most powerful being in the entire world. Right. And, um, I kid you not. Cause like, I am my own God and I can run my own life. So like First, I had to admit that I was powerless. Then I had to admit that, like, even though I got a degree, which, like, by the way, remember how I said I held on to that? I held on to that for a very long time, you know, like 10 years. And I was like, it was like the one thing I did as a aromatic. I just like held on to it. I was like, this is the reason I can continue doing this. And it was so weird. Um, so I got my I'm like holding on to this degree like 10 years later and my my sponsor was like dude you did one manageable thing on heroin like the rest of your life is like shit I'm sorry it's like really funny to think about now for myself anyways um so the second step I can't even think right now so the second step came to believe about okay so believing in a power greater than myself that was hard because I believe that I am my own god and I can run my own life and so um I just did what the group normally does. And I do um, group of drunks, right? Good orderly direction. Like that was really easy for me. And so I started just calling people when I thought I had really, really good ideas. And um, I'd call three people and the average answer would win. And um, the average answer was normally unanimous. And it was always not my idea. And um, so eventually like God was speaking to me through other people. And like, that's how I became, that's how I came to believe in a higher power greater than myself. Um, made a decision, you know, third step prayer. I don't know about you guys, but I just do the third step prayer. And a lot of that is like saying thy will be done and not praying for my will to be done, even if it's selfless, you know, and someone's fiance is calling and, um, four, five, six, seven, hit, hit the decline. I'm sorry, fiance. And um, four, five, Six, seven. The funny thing about five is like, I've already told everybody everything that I've already done uh, I, I, because I bragged about it, right? I bragged about the fact that I went to jail. I bragged about the fact that um, 
I've done, I'm just not gonna go into details, but I've bragged about everything that I've ever done. So the only difference between that and this is like, now I have to tell one person, that's it. So by the way, you've already told everybody. So um, six, seven is something I still constantly work on um, is like character defects. And like these get glossed over really quickly. A lot of the time, I know I'm running out. I'll be there. Um, so six and seven is, is so interesting because people just gloss over it. And, um, and we're, we always talk about this in the meeting that like we have these character defects that I will hold on to because they just make me feel better about myself and make me feel better than you. And um, they were survival mechanisms, right? Like me, like having the character defects that I have, like helped me survive for a very long time. So six and seven, like I constantly work on and um, and I constantly work on the significant other and I have to look at where I am impatient or like I am being judgmental or where I am doing all of these crazy things, you know, that just have to do with the fact that I'm an alcoholic and I'm not working on myself very well. Um, and so, you know, eight and nine is like, it's cool the first time because you're making amends for shit that you've done um, when you were like loaded, but like doing that when you're sober just sucks, by the way, for anyone who's been around long enough, like having to go make amends for things that you've done while you've been sober is much worse than while you've been loaded um, because then you just have nothing to excuse your behavior except for just you're an asshole. I'm an asshole, you know, um, 10 really helps you avoid doing that. Um, you know, you just look at your daily inventory, you wake up and you you ask God for his direction and then you go to sleep and look at your day and say like, where have I been wrong? Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's on page eight, six. It's good shit. Um, and it, you know, and I don't do that perfectly. Um, my home group friends will know that like I, 10 step is not my strong suit. Um, but I tend to like know immediately if I've done something wrong, because I'm like, when I was loaded now, if I do something wrong, I have to turn around and tell somebody immediately like, Hey, you know, like, this is what I've done wrong. This is what I'll do next time. If there's anything else I can do, or if there's anything else that I need to like make amends for, like, please let me know, you know, and I do it like immediately, you know, and, um, and that ties into 12, but 11 is just prayer and meditation. It sucks. It's kind of hard. Good luck. There's some prayers that you can like do. There's a lot of stuff for St. Francis for it. It's really interesting. Uh, but meditation, I can't really speak on because I'm not very good at it. I do physical form of meditation. So I do yoga because it gives me an hour in the day where I don't have to think about anything other than what I'm physically doing at that time. So that's the closest I can get to meditation. Um, and praying, like I prayed before I got up here and I just prayed that like God speaks in me and gives somebody something they need to hear tonight, right? So it's like praying just throughout the day about everything. And that's just what I do, you know? Like I pray when like, I have a friend who's suffering when I have to do this kind of shit, when I like I'm walking into an area meeting and I don't know anybody, when I'm doing anything, I just pray for like a little bit of help and support and then I'm never alone, you know? And, um, and 12 is like a really big one. We just talked about it yesterday. It's like having had a spiritual awakening, like as a result of these steps, you know, it's like as a result of these steps, like it is not enough, like in and of myself, to, like do something wrong, turn around and make an immense immediately. Right. That's like, that's like, that's beyond me. That's like strength that I couldn't have had before, you know, like taking somebody through the steps, like speaking for a meeting, like doing all of these things, like going and helping my mom, cleaning the dishes, all these things that seemed so difficult before, like I can do now with ease. And for anybody who wants to know, like a spiritual awakening, you can look in the back of the big book. It's under spirit, um, 
spiritual experience. And we we're just talking about it, like mine's of the educational variety where like I learned over a small period of time or like a long period of time and like slowly but surely like people saw it in me and like I was able to, that's me, that's me. Um, and slowly but surely, like I was able to do things that like I couldn't do by myself on my own free will. And like, you know, the last thing is like practice these principles and all our affairs. I cut someone off today and I was super pissed. So I don't live these principles in all my affairs. Really trying in the car last couple of weeks ago, I even got a ticket and I looked the cop in the eye as I blew the stop sign, just like saw him and just like, you know, but the integrity part of that is like, I pulled myself over, you know, like before he got behind me, I just took a right turn and I parked and like, that's the spiritual principles and all my affairs is that I blew the stop sign looking at the cop, but I did pull myself over. So um, it's really hard and I'm not perfect at it. I'm not perfect at these steps. But what I can say is that like, I work really hard on my program. I talk to my sponsor often. I'm going through the book right now and I have friends who surround me and, you know, like the friends who are around me are the people I want to be like, and that's really important. So that's all I got. Thanks for letting me share. Yeah.